We've been working our way through Ephesians in a series titled Being Together. One of the main themes that runs through the book of Ephesians is that of identity. Who am I individually? And who are we together as the church? What is it that being together is all about? So far, we've seen from chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, that we are extremely blessed. As God's people, we are blessed, we're chosen, we're adopted, we're redeemed, we're forgiven, we're lavished with grace, we're given the mystery of God's plan. We are so blessed, we don't even have the capacity to grasp it. We, we just are not able to grasp how amazing and wonderful these blessings are. So we are blessed. And because we can't understand, we just don't have the capacity for it, the next part of the passage, uh, the next part of chapter 1, verses 15 to 23, Paul prays that our capacity to understand would be broadened, that the scope of our understanding would be widened so that we could grasp more and more what it means that we are blessed, what these blessings are about, how can we understand them, how can we live in them. And so today we enter chapter 2. And Paul gives us a window into two different realities, two very different realities. On the one hand, in the first window, we peer into a scene where enslavement rules. We're enslaved to a brutal ruler. Pessimicity, pessimism, negativity, blindness, lack of power, destruction, guilt, shame, and death is what rules in this window. And it's basically a vivid image of what happens when people are left to their own desires at the expense of everybody else. And then he gives us a picture into another window and uh, a different reality. In this reality, the one in power is not about abusing that power. It's not about hurting others, but about sharing his rule, about sharing love. It's where uh, love abounds. And instead of Pessimism is optimism. Instead of negativity is positivity. Instead of blindness is light and sight. And instead of death is life. So I want to dive into chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Before we do that, let's just pray together. Dear Lord, thank you that you have blessed us with every blessing that we can't even comprehend. And thank you that you... uh, are capable and are able and do expand our understanding as we grow with you as the Holy Spirit's power is at work inside of us to make us be able to understand more and more. Help us as we look at these next verses uh, that help us to understand what it means to be alive in Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. So chapter 2 of Ephesians verses 1 through 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus 
in order that in the coming ages he may show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This passage is one of the clearest and most descriptive uh, explanations of what it means when Christians say that we are saved. Growing up in the church, I would hear the phrase using that word a lot. When did you get saved? Um, have you been saved? Would you like to be saved? And growing up in the church, I understood what that meant because I knew that I was a bad person and I need to be saved from, from what, the, all those bad things that I've done. But for people who didn't grow up in the church, to hear people talk about, have you been saved? The question is, well, saved from what? I mean, if you, it's kind of like saying, do you want to be saved to someone that doesn't understand that? Uh, the context of this passage, it's like throwing a life jacket at somebody walking down the street. What do I need this for? Being saved means being saved from something that's life-threatening. So, but if you're in a burning building and you don't know that it's burning and you don't smell the smoke, you don't feel the heat, you have no idea that you need to be saved. You need to be saved. So what Paul does here is he vividly describes the situation that people are in without Jesus. This is what we need to be saved from. And without Jesus, our reality is enslavement, guilt, all those things that uh, the passage talked about in those first few verses. In this reality, death rules life. Selfishness distorts relationships. Thoughts and actions are deceived and people are deserving of God's wrath. Now, we don't like to talk about God's wrath, but it's not God seeking revenge against us. It's not an outburst of anger. It's God's righteous anger toward anything opposed to his holy and righteous nature. He hates sin because it results in shame and selfishness and deception and death. So his wrath is real and it is deserved. And this situation that we're in without any help, without being saved, is a situation deserving of his wrath. However, and this is the beauty of the way Paul sets up these two opposing realities, the first picture is a picture of people deserving God's wrath. However, God is also a loving and merciful God. And this is part of the reason Paul sets up this contrast between two opposing reality, realities because the, in the first picture, we deserve his wrath, but in the second, we see how amazing his love and his mercy and his grace are. He didn't just give us a helping hand. He actually entered into this reality that's ruled by selfishness and greed and people were we, we deserve God's wrath. He entered in, and instead of throwing his wrath, he lavished his grace. And because he's a merciful and graceful, or uh, merciful and graceful, gracious God, he brought us and made us alive. He made us alive in Christ. He moved us from the reality of death and destruction and into this reality of life and love. Um, earlier this week, we celebrated a couple baptisms. Pastor Kevin mentioned those uh, earlier. Uh, and 
the symbolism of baptism is just a wonderful symbol of this. We're dead, we're under the water dead, but God made us alive into this new reality in Christ. So we are alive. Now in the previous passage that we looked at, we looked at it last week, um, verses 19 through 23, it talks about how God's incomparably great power was used to raise Jesus from the dead. God raised Jesus from the dead by his incomparably great power. That is a power that nobody else has. Nobody can raise somebody from death to life. But God did that with Jesus. And then, with that same power that's incomparably great, he not only raised him from the dead, but he raised him into the heavenly realms far above any other rule or any other authority, both in heaven and on earth, and he gave Jesus that rule and that authority. So we move from, um, from what God did with Jesus to verses four through six in this passage, and this connects. It says, because of God's mercy and grace for us in our desperate state, Paul says that God made us alive with Christ, with that same power, and he not only made us alive, but he, with that same power that he raised us and Christ from the dead, he also raised us from life uh, and, and seated us in the heavenly realms with him. So in Christ and with Christ, we're alive. We were spiritually dead and that death ruled our lives. But now in Christ, we're fully alive. And not only are we made alive, we're, we're seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. So these two realities that Paul's painting here are before and after pictures. Now you've probably seen before and after pictures when people are trying to sell a product or a service. The ones I like are renovation before and after pictures. And, and the ones that I like the best are when something is really extremely in a bad situation, a room or a house, and then uh, the person renovating turns it into something immaculate. And the more extreme they are, the more competent that that renovator seems to be. And so what Paul does here, he, he contrasts these two realities that are diametrically opposed to each other, and he is pointing to the one who is extremely competent to move us from one to the other, to, uh, to Jesus. And, and, and Jesus is just so amazing that he can come in and move us and make us alive in him. So before Christ was in our lives, before we trusted him, we are dead and ruled by death. After we're made alive and we have life and we have victory because we're seated with him in the heavenly realms. And the, the only way, the way, the truth, and the life is Jesus. Only through Jesus are we able to move from this reality to this reality. We're made alive in Christ. And Paul explains that it's for God's glory that he does this, for, that, he, that his gracious glory would be revealed. Verse seven says, in order that in the coming ages he may show the incomparably rich, incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus is on display as the one who's gracious and his glory may shine. And just to be sure that God's the focus in all this, Paul makes it clear in verses eight through 10. It says, it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, 
not by works so that nobody should boast. We're not saved because we do something right. We're not saved by our own thoughts, by our own desires, by our own good works, or anything we could do. We're saved by God's grace. So if we find ourselves boasting about ourselves, our focus is in the wrong place. If we're gonna boast, we gotta boast in God, in Jesus. Now it does say that we're saved by grace and through faith. So we do play a role, but our role is only to accept God's grace through faith. Faith is looking at Jesus and realizing our desperate situation that we're lost without him and being willing to receive what he offers. It's, faith is like the way we see into the spiritual realm. It's believing that God is who he says he is and he does what he says he does. So we're saved from this desperate situation by God's grace and through our faith only in Christ to be alive. We are alive in Christ. Now, my biggest struggle with this passage as I've, as I've wrestled with it, and especially as I've prepared for this morning, is, is, is the reality that I am alive with Christ. I am seated with him in the heavenly realms. I have victory over sin. I have that power at work in me. It's a reality that's real. It, God, he, he paints it and, and tells it clearly, this is a real reality. I was in this situation, but now I'm alive in Christ. And it's, it's in the spiritual realm, but it's real. But my struggle is that I still, I still struggle with temptation. I still have negative thoughts. I still distrust. And I wanted to stand here and tell you that you're alive in Christ, you have victory in him, and here's how you experience it and feel it all the time. I, here's the secret. I, I feel like that's what I want to tell you because Paul says we are made alive. And yet, I don't know anybody who's been honest with me uh, that I've walked with or that I've read about who says I feel this aliveness all the time. I don't wrestle with what's going on. It's like we live in, two, in both of these realms, the, the one that we are saved from and the one that we are in. So my experiences and the experiences that I've, people that I've read about and talked with are that yes, we do have glimpses of this and we do live in this reality. We, we do feel alive, we do feel victory, and yet we do wrestle with temptation and with uh, the worries of the world. So we're in both of these realities. And as I've thought about this and I've prayed about it and I've wrestled with this, I think the Holy Spirit has revealed some truths to me that help me and I wanna share with you. Um, so one is that the struggle of knowing that we're fully saved, that we are uh, fully alive, that we are, uh, we are in a place of victory over sin um, and yet we don't always feel it and we still struggle, it's this theological truth that explain, that's explained by the already, not yet. Uh, this means that yes, we are already alive in Christ Jesus. We are already seated with him in the heavenly realms. We do have the power to be victorious over sin. It, we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. However, 
the full effect of God's plan is not yet complete. And so we do live in both of these realities. We live in the earthly realm where the ruler of the kingdom of the air, verse two talks about this ruler of the kingdom of the air, that's, that's the devil, and the ways of this world, that's our, our culture. These, these things still operate in this reality. And we do live in this reality and see and experience, this is what we see and we experience. But we also live in the heavenly realm and it's just as real. And it's in this realm that we receive power and where we uh, have uh, the Holy Spirit at work in our heart and we're empowered in order to, to live in this place and to have victory. And this is the place where we get our identity. We're empowered by this realm and, that, and yet we live and act in this realm. And that's why we struggle. And Paul talks about this struggle in Romans 7. He talks about the struggle between the living spiritual world and the, the dead um, sinful nature that, that is at work inside of us. So just because you struggle with temptation and just because you struggle with heartache and pain, even though you're saved, it doesn't mean you're not saved. We are already saved. We are already alive in the spiritual realm. It's just that it's not fully realized yet. God's not finished making all things right and bringing these two together in a perfect place. Another truth that this passage come, uh, about this passage is that it comes right after the power prayer that we talked about last week. Paul prayed that our understanding of all these blessings and all these truths that we're talking about, being alive, having victory, he prayed that our understanding of that would grow, that our capacity to understand would grow. And so this passage comes right after that, and then at the end of chapter three, he prays a very similar prayer that we would grasp these truths. And it's like Paul couched this truth about being alive and victorious between these two power prayers because he knows that it's very difficult and we need the power of the Holy Spirit to help us understand and grasp and live in this reality of being alive and having victory. Prayer is so important and Paul models that. And he says, and he prays for the readers that they would understand this. And the third truth is the repetition of in Christ or with Christ. All of these truths are only available in and with Christ. And I think one of the reasons Paul repeats that phrase so many times, in Christ, with Christ, is that we have a tendency to forget and lose our focus. We, we say in one minute, yes, I'm in Christ, and then the next, the, something happens and we start getting caught up in the worries of the world. So when we forget that in Jesus is where we get our identity. In him is where we get our power. In him is where we have victory. In him is where we are alive. And we start to look at what's going on around us in this, in this sinful place that we still work and operate. The worries of this place come up and we struggle again. And the reminder is we gotta turn back, get our identity, get our life, get our victory from this realm of the, the, the spiritual realm where it's just as real and just as true, even though we can't see it, we see it only through faith. And then verse 10 tells us what the life and the victory is all for. Why does God give us life and victory? 
And it says, by grace we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We don't do good works to earn our salvation. We don't do good works to be good enough for God. We do good works because God is a God who does good works. And he's prepared us to join him in his good works. He created us to share in and and do his good works. In the Revised Standard Version translation of the Bible, the first sentence of this passage and the last sentence use the same word, this word walk. Listen to the first sentence. And he made you alive when you were dead through the trespasses and sins in which, in which you once walked. And then the final verse, a phrase that says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This word walk is a Hebrew idiom for uh, our manner of life. And so by beginning and ending with using this word, he said you used to walk, your manner of life used to be about this selfish place where death ruled. And now you walk in this place where you're alive and where you have victory and where love rules. And so we walk there in order to join God in his good works. There was a man who was determined to offer his life to God, untainted by the world. He saw people love each other and he saw that love made strenuous demands on the lovers. He saw that love required sacrifice and self-denial. He saw that love produced arguments and jealousy and sorrow. And he decided that that cost too much. And he decided not to diminish his life with love. He saw people strive for distant and hazy goals. He saw men and women strive for success and high ideals. He saw that striving was often mixed with disappointment. He saw strong and committed people fail. And he saw weak, undeserving people succeed. He saw that striving sometimes forced people into pettiness and greed, and so he decided it cost too much, and he decided not to soil his life with striving. He saw people serving others. He saw men and women give money to the poor and the helpless. He saw that the more they served, the faster the need grew. He saw ungrateful receivers turn on their serving friends. He decided not to soil his life with serving. So when he died, he walked up to God and he presented his life to God, undiminished, unmarred, unsoiled. The man was clean, untouched by the filth of the world, and he presented himself to God and he said, here's my life. And God said, life? What life? God didn't make us alive in order to insulate ourselves from the pain and the suffering in the world. He made us to join him in loving and serving others. This means we will get dirty, we will get hurt, and we will get used. But we are in Christ and Christ got dirty. He got hurt and he was used. And it was through his death and resurrection that we were brought to life. So we're alive with Christ and in Christ so that we can join him in his good works so that people can see his glory and come to know him. 
Let's pray together. God, you are such an amazing God. You are infinite and your blessings are infinite and we are finite. We do not have the capacity to understand, to grasp these truths. And yet, you put your Holy Spirit inside of us to expand our understanding, to grow us so that we can understand more and more what it means to be alive, what it means to be blessed, what it means for us to pray. And I pray, Lord, that we would honor you, that we would look to you for our identity, and that we would proclaim you to a world that so desperately needs to know you, that is lost without you. So bless us, help us to live in our aliveness and join you joyfully in the works you want us to do. Amen.